You're listening to SBS News. Katie Gallagher, thanks for joining SBS. Thanks for having me on. For those people who are putting petrol in their car, who are trying to afford Christmas presents, perhaps even a holiday or at least putting a Christmas lunch on the table, what's in this document for them? Well, we've got our cost of living measures which we're flowing out through the budget. I mean, in terms of what we could do in this MyEFO, it's really an update, a stock take of where we are right now. And I think where the government can play a useful role, because we completely understand that people are doing it really tough mm. at the moment and that household budgets are getting really hit hard, uh, is to make sure that we're managing the budget responsibly and the decisions we take aren't adding to the inflation challenge in the economy because if we were to be adding to that pressure, uh, it would have a much more uh, serious impact on those household budgets. So the decision in the MyEFO essentially is to continue on the path we set at, at May, uh, make sure we can do what we can without adding to inflation, get the budget in much better shape and make sure we're not adding to the inflation challenge. When it comes down to the reality of politics versus people's personal finances as they go into this holiday period. Is your government just holding out for the May budget to potentially give a pre-election sweetener and in the meantime, those families are hurting? Well, what we're doing is trying to manage this inflation challenge. Uh, And I think, you know, the banks made it very clear that the strategy that we are following is the right one for the times uh, and that is that we're making sure we're showing some spending restraints so that we're not adding to that inflation challenge mm-hmm. uh, but we've said we will monitor the economic circumstances of uh, you know as we lead up into the budget decision so you know if we need to do more if we can do more if it's the responsible thing to do more uh, then then we'll take those decisions in the lead up to May. We've got the stage three tax cuts now looming How difficult is the conversation going to be about whether to go ahead with them? Well, they're legislated to go ahead. So they will go ahead on the 1st of July. Um, They were, you know, legislated in the previous parliament. Mm. Uh, And I think that, you know, certainly tax and giving people that tax relief is one way you can assist people with cost of living pressures. So I think, you know, looking forward um, for those households, particularly mortgaged households that are doing it, so tough with the interest rate increases, um, tax relief is one way you can help those households. But it's helping the wealthiest the most. How is that justifiable at the moment? And when does deep public uh, lack of support for something trump an election promise? Well, it'll impact and it'll kick in for incomes over 45000 So stage one and two of those arrangements were targeted at the low and middle income earners, but stage three will kick in at 45000 um, And so, you know, we, we've been conscious that that's there, but also that when we have been making decisions about cost of living, we are targeting it to, to low and middle income families, whether it be through family payments, whether it be through bulk billing for children, whether it be through um, energy bill relief, um, that's the way that we've been able to reach those households who are doing it especially tough. But when you look at the Stage 3 tax cuts, you know, legislated, as you say, but legislation can be amended. Is there any consideration being given by the financial team of the government to at least tweak the Stage 3 tax cuts? Our position on Stage 3 hasn't changed. Um, So they're... On the um, legislation that passed the previous parliament, they are to kick in on the 1st of July. 
When it comes to the migration strategy, which has been a prelude uh, to this document, uh, there are changes in this document to what the government is going to earn, which relate to uh, the end of the pandemic visa. Quite a significant amount of money that's going to go out of the budget. Why, why is that loss of, of money related to the pandemic visa? So it's really around the, the numbers um, on that visa and so we expect with the closure of it and as that closure impacts um, that you would see less less money coming through for the price of that visa, the cost of that visa. Right. Um, so it's, so it's, re- it's revenue foregone essentially that would mm-hmm. have been with that visa in place that would have come. Uh, so we've closed that I think from the 2nd of September. Uh, it was a very popular um visa and we'd seen enormous growth in that visa uh, with people coming in and then once you're on that visa seeking to extend it. Now I wasn't we weren't in the government at the time that visa was established and there may have been good arguments for it being put in place but it certainly needs to end Uh, and it's part of our decisions about putting some more integrity and making sure the migration system not only working for migrants that are welcome in this country but also working for Australia and that's part of the approach or that is the approach that Claire and others have taken, Claire O'Neill have taken with the migration strategy. So integrity, making sure it lines up with what we need in terms of skilled migration uh, and then also compliance which hadn't been a focus of the former government. And given the the last uh, net overseas migration figure was Mm. quite wildly out uh, from the reality that we've now seen come to pass, how much control does the government have over migration into this country and the flow and effects to the pressures on communities? Yeah, well, you've seen the decisions we've taken that will reduce um, net overseas migration by 180,000 across the forward estimates. So uh, these are just some of the changes we've announced largely around how we manage some of the um, um, requirements around student visas. Uh, And that's, I think, based on the information we now have, which is, you know, the predictions of what would happen post the COVID restrictions and how that would flow through and how popular it would be to to get on those student visas and come to Australia um, and, you know, an underestimation of, of what that looked like. Um, we now have a very good line of sight on that, I think. Um, you know, people, I, I don't think, could predict that post-COVID. Um, the pull forward um, that we saw um, in the once the borders were open. And so in that sense, government can make decisions which put a bit more control around those numbers, and you've seen us do that. It does impact on the budget, and the, the opposition has said very clearly it thinks that the government lost control of this migration process, lost control of the numbers and its ability to maintain sustainable population growth. What do you say to that? Well, the settings that are in place or were in place were the settings that were in place under them. But um, you are the government now. so Well, exactly, of... which is why we've made some changes based on what we've seen, um, based on an understanding of what was happening in the immigration department uh, and some of the challenges there. So we've, I mean, this is a department that Peter Dutton oversaw uh, and, you know, we saw visa backlogs, we saw a whole range of issues. There wasn't a compliance section um, you know, an underestimation, an under-resourcing in that department and we've been, Claire O'Neill's been going through and bit by bit having to respond to those issues. So uh, I think as a government we have, when we've become aware of issues, we've had to respond and we've done so. Could you have done it more quickly? 
I don't believe so. Uh, we've had a number of reviews, plus I think uh, this is the year where we have seen those numbers, particularly around international students, uh, really grow, and we've made some decisions based on that. Just finally, your, your government is now calling for an immediate ceasefire in the Middle East uh, and has backed a UN resolution. Uh, there is criticism that this has taken too long, that the substantive nature of this situation hasn't changed over the last few weeks. Why has your government waited until now to make this joint statement? Well, I think um, Penny Wong, as Foreign Minister, will have responded to this. I missed her press conference this morning. Uh, but I think when you see the language that she has been using, uh, right from the outset when she called for restraint, um, and then when she took called for immediate steps towards a ceasefire, but that ceasefire couldn't be unilateral, it couldn't just be on one party. And I think you've seen that in the statement, that the joint statement that Prime Ministers have released overnight. Um, you know, I think there is escalating concern about the humanitarian situation in Gaza and it's appropriate that governments respond, but it's also appropriate that they use the diplo diplomatic channels uh, to raise their concerns and, and, you know, you see that reflected, I think, in the statement that was released. This has become quite a personal issue for different members of the Cabinet and within the government. I mean, on a personal level, would you like to have seen action sooner to send that really strong message? Well, I, I, of course, support the work Penny Wong has been doing. Um, you know, I work closely with Penny. I see the amount of effort that's gone into, um, you know, using those diplomatic channels, responding to communities, looking at, you know, and taking feedback from here in Australia. Uh, but I, I don't think there's an Australian, uh, you know, who hasn't been watching this with horror and concern. And I think the statement released by the Prime Minister reflects our national concern at the situation in the Middle East. We'll leave it there. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much, Anna.